Now we give a warm welcome to everyone to the uh, time of worship this evening, both those in the building here and to those who are joining with us online. Let's begin our worship this evening by singing to God's praise from Psalm 103. It's found on page 369 of uh, the Psalter. But perhaps I should just say to the congregation that uh, we are delighted as a Kirk session to have met with uh, the Reverend James Sims and his wife Esther and Andrew and Marie Somerville, uh, all of whom um, have joined as, uh, as a congregation. So we welcome them very much indeed. Psalm 103, page 369 uh, of the Psalter, at the beginning of the song, O thou my soul, bless God the Lord, and all that in me is, be stirred up his holy name to magnify and bless. Bless, O my soul, the Lord thy God, and not forgetful be of all his gracious benefits he hath bestowed on thee. And after we've sung verses 1 to 5, I'm going to ask the Reverend James Sims to lead us in prayer. Psalm 103 at the beginning, O thou my soul.
Now let's sing again to God's praise. This time it's from Psalm 116. It's page 395 of the Psalter and it's at the beginning of the song. I love the Lord because my voice and prayers he did hear. I, while I live, will call on him who bowed to me his ear. Of death the cords and sorrows did about me compass round. The pains of hell took hold on me. I grief and trouble found. We'll sing verses 1 to 6 of Psalm 116. I love the Lord. word as we find it <clears throat> in 1st Corinthians chapter <clears throat> chapter 11 and we read from verse 17 1st Corinthians chapter 11 at uh, verse 17 but in the following instructions I do not commend you because when you come together it is not for the better but for the worse. For in the first place, when you come together as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you. 
And I believe it in part, for there must be factions among you in order that those who are genuine among you may be recognized. When you come together, it is not the Lord's Supper that you eat. For in eating, each one goes ahead with his own meal. One goes hungry, another gets drunk. What? Do you not have houses to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I commend you in this? No, I will not. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it, in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then, and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. That is why many of you are weak and ill, and some have died. But if we judged ourselves truly, we would not be judged. But when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined so that we may not be condemned along with the world. So then, my brothers, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. If anyone is hungry, let him eat at home so that when you come together, it will not be for judgment. About the other things, I will give directions when I come. Amen, and may God bless to us that reading from his uh, word. Let's continue to sing in Psalm 116, this time at uh, verse verse 7. O thou my soul, do thou return unto thy quiet rest, for largely, lo, the Lord to thee his bounty hath expressed. For my distressed soul from death delivered was by thee. Thou didst my mourning eyes from tears, my feet from falling free. Verses 7 to 12. O thou my soul.
the passage that we've read in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 and we'll read again at verse 28 let a person examine himself then and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup now let's by God's enabling seek to explore something of this area of uh, scripture Uh, the city of Corinth was like many cities of its day full of vice full of immorality and full of corruption but that's the way it is in the heart of fallen mankind but we do find the Apostle Paul writing to our church in the city of Corinth and that itself is a huge comfort to us not many mighty, not many noble, not many wise of this world have been called by God God takes what's lesser and lower to himself and he works and he molds and he fashions and turns them in men and women and children uh, to trophies of grace that's the reality of it and you know the church in Corinth was true to form because you know when people are justified when people exercise faith when they come to a saving knowledge of Christ the scriptural language is that they are new creatures now all the creatures on this planet ultimately were created by God and that's true in the spiritual realm as well all spiritually saved creatures are the handwork of an eternal God so we are new creatures in Christ but that's not to say that there's no remnants of what was before left in the new creature. Because there are remnants, I'm afraid. You know, the person that has a serious problem with a temper, in all likelihood, when they become saved, people will have a serious problem with their temper. They will have to work on it. The person that's given to cursing and swearing may well, if, even if they don't actually verbalize it, have it running through their head thereafter. And uh, that's true of all the weaknesses and the deformities and the vulnerabilities of human life. And that manifested itself in the church in, uh, in Corinth because it's not an old church but it has got problems and it's not just one or two problems the problems are mounting up and down there were serious divisions among them one was of Paul, one was of Apollos, one was of Cephas and Paul has to deal with that issue and then there was uh, 
a serious problem of uh, sexual immorality. It was so bad that they were saying the heathens don't even operate at this level and yet you've got it in the church. And not only have you got it in the church, you've got people in the church who are proud of it and who are arrogant about it. And, and proud and arrogant in this way, aren't we a liberal church? Aren't we a broad church? Aren't we an understanding church? Aren't we a diverse church? And Paul has to deal with that big problem. But they even have problems with the Lord's uh, table because prior to sitting at the Lord's table, and this was a great idea, they had a meal. And you know, that's, that's the way we operate as humans. You know, if we want to get to know people, if we want to interact, we might invite them around for a meal and we'll, we'll talk over a meal and whatnot. That's what happens amongst the human race, whether Christian or, or non-Christian. But in the early church, they had this, what they called the agape meal, love meal. And it was a wonderful idea, but all wonderful ideas can go pear-shaped and can, go, and can get out of kilter. And that's exactly what happened. Because people would bring along things to eat and things to drink at the agape meal. And, and that was fine, but some people couldn't be bothered waiting for others to come. Because they were more interested in themselves than others. And uh, they would just get ahead and they would eat to their fill. They were, they were making gluttons of themselves. But not only were they making gluttons of themselves, they were getting drunk and uh, they were going in a drunken state to the Lord's table. And so there are all kinds of problems in the church in Corinth. And that's why this letter is being uh, written uh, to them. And the Apostle Paul spells out to them what the Lord's Supper really is. Because although they were going through an outward ritual, he's basically saying it's not the Lord's Supper you're at. Because there's a certain way to come to the table of the Lord. And if you don't come in that specific way, it's not the table of the Lord that you're at. And he suggests that, or he asks the question, do you, think I'm going to, do you think I'm going to commend you in the midst of all this? No, I am not. And that's the good thing about the Apostle Paul. He was gracious and he was kind and he was compassionate, but he called a spade a spade. And he's basically saying, this is out of order and it's got to get sorted out. Now, where do you get that kind of approach to life's problems from? That's exactly the way it was with Jesus of Nazareth. And Jesus is God come in the flesh. So we're back to something I emphasize often from this pulpit. We live in a world that wants to know about a God of love. And the God that's the creation of this day and age is a God who, who, who basically will put up with anything and everything because he's a loving God. Well, he's a just God as well as a loving God. And he's full of compassion and he's full of mercy, but he calls a spade a spade as well. And he deals justly with every given situation. And he looks at Corinth and he's of the same mind as this apostle of his. And it's basically, this is out of order. This is wrong. Get it sorted. Get yourselves sorted out. Now the wonderful thing about this area of scripture is this. 
I mean, I don't know how a present-day Kirk session would deal with the serious divisions that there were found in Corinth. I don't know how they would deal with such a serious uh, case of sexual immorality. I don't know how they would deal with gluttony uh, and drunkenness uh, at, at the Lord's table. But I'm guessing that some sessions might well say this is out of order and then they would go on to say they're out. Get them out. They're a disgrace. They are bringing the church of Christ into disrepute. They have to be cast out. There's something like that in us. And that can create its own uh, difficulties. But we are given a cue here from the Lord. And the cue is this. Not to duck and dive and pretend there's not a problem. That's not what's happening here. Uh, the, the, the issues are being faced fairly and squarely. But you know what we should be thankful about is this. He's basically saying get this sorted. In other words, turn away from these things that are wrong. Come in confession to the Lord. Come to the Lord's table in the right kind of way. The Lord is not saying to the church in Corinth, I've had enough of you. You're out. Now does the Lord ever say that? Of course the Lord says that. Of course the Lord says that. The Lord gets to a point where he says to the human race, right, enough is enough. And all their privileges and all their blessings that they've spurned and they've rejected come to an end. And the Lord deals in his justice and in his wrath with that situation. That is not what is happening here. He's not casting them out. He is coming in chastisement and he is dealing with the situation. Now let's remember that the Passover festival gave way to the Lord's Supper and we are told here about him instituting the Lord's Supper, the cup of wine representing the blood of Christ and the Bread representing the broken body of Christ. But he does say there's a right way and there's a wrong way to be at the Lord's to be at the Lord's table. And in order to work out whether we're coming in a right manner or a wrong manner, he says that we ought to examine ourselves. Let a person, it says here in the authorised version, it is let a man, and it's the generic use of man, it means men, women and children, let a man examine himself and so let him eat and drink. But therein lies a big problem for people. And what I want to highlight this evening, it's not exhaustive, but I want to highlight three areas where this where we can run into trouble with this self-examination. And this is the first one. It is to look back on your life, and of course examination includes that, not just presently, but to look back on our lives. And this is a strange thing. 
Sometimes we can be engaging in sin and we're oblivious to the fact that it is sinful. But that's not the way it remains. And there's a reason for it not remaining. And the reason for it not remaining is the process of sanctification going on in the life of of the individual. Remember what I said. God is the creator of all creatures in this universe. But God is also the creator of spiritual creatures as well. And God works on and molds and fashions each and every one of his children. It's God who justifies. And remember if we are justified. Our standing before God in the eyes of God the great judge of all the earth is a standing whereby he sees no sin because we've swapped our sin for the righteousness of Christ that's the amazing truth of justification but I'm not talking about the doctrine of justification right now I'm talking about the doctrine of sanctification and in the doctrine of sanctification it's not a one-off it's a progressive thing that goes on right throughout the life of the believer and what is it God does well we live unto righteousness and we die unto sin in other words God makes us alive to sin to, to, to righteousness and God identifies sin in our experience so that we might separate ourselves from it and sometimes as we reflect and sometimes as we examine we can look back on things that we've done said and thought that we lived quite comfortably with for maybe a prolonged period of time but we look back now with horror and with shame we cringe and we think how on earth could I have had that, that reproach? Why wasn't I switched on? Why wasn't I sensitive? What on earth is going on here? And of course what's going on is the work of progressive sanctification. Which is what's meant to be going on. God is doing his work. But here's the danger. Here's the danger. It is so easy for somebody in that kind of situation to sink very low. Of course, that is where the devil wants you to be. But the second area I want uh, to look at is slightly different. And it's different in this respect. We have done things, we have said things, we have thought things that were wrong... And we've always known that they were wrong. But the enormity of the wrongness never dawned upon us. But it has dawned on us now. And it's almost like a vengeance. It's gnawing away at our conscience. And it's got us all over the place. And we're full of anxiety. And we're full of fear. And we're full of trepidation. What on earth has gone on? Well, again, the answer is the same. The work of sanctification has gone on, and as that progresses, the sensitivity to sinfulness increases, and that's where the danger lies. That's where the enemy of our souls can throw in these thoughts. You're not really a Christian. 
You're not the genuine article. You've been deceiving yourself and you've been deceiving others and you're nothing but a hypocrite and you put your hands up and you say, yes, I agree with all of that. And that's where the danger comes in. Because you can so easily just go over the edge. You can so easily just go over the edge. And of course that suits the enemy of our souls eh, precisely. It suits him eh, precisely. But there's a third area I eh, I want to highlight. And that is what we might call the continuity of sin in the life of the believer. What I mean by that? Well, you know that if somebody is a believer, life's not a bed of roses because the battle goes on and it's a battle royal every living day. I want to live in a way that's honouring to God. But there's something else in me that wants to go the other way. You know, as we reflect on whether we're Christians or not, when the enemy of our souls is giving us a really hard time, what kind of thing would you, spot, would you be looking for in your life to identify whether you're really a Christian or not? Well, here's a really good identifier. The good that I would, I do not. And the evil that I do not, I do. That I would not, I do. In other words, <coughs> I'm divided. There's something in me wants to go this way and there's something in me that wants to go that way and it's a battle zone. I want to do good but evil is present with me. I want to honour God but my evil sinful nature as well as the world and as well as the devil drag me in another and the battle is royal. That doesn't happen in the life of the unbeliever. The unbeliever is happily going down the road of rebellion and sin. It's no great problem to them. But it is, it is to the believer. So what do you do when this is raging in your experience? What do you do when you come to our Lord's table and we're told that we need to examine ourselves? What do you do if the things that I've just identified are very, you're very acquaint with them? Looking back on things that you now know were really sinful, but you lived with them as if there was nothing to it for long enough. Or, the second thing that, uh, that I've highlighted, you knew from the word go that they were wrong. But the enormity of the wrongness is, is, is far greater in your experience now and uh, you just want to bury your head and cringe with shame as, as you reflect on it. Or this third one that I've highlighted, just the ongoing nature, continuous, continuous, continuous of sinfulness that just gets you down. And that whispering goes on, not the real thing, not genuine. It's all a sham. What do you do when you're in that kind of situation? Well, here's a challenge. Just walk away. 
Walk away from it all. Walk away from this Christ. Walk away from this sacrament. Walk away from this book. Walk away from it as if it doesn't really matter at all. Do you know what? You cannot do that. Do you know why? Because you are a believer. Because you are. Now these things I'm suggesting, I am suggesting because the enemy of our souls is so subtle and he is so brutal in these things that we need to face up to him in that kind of way. We have to say to him, although he would love us to walk away, I cannot walk away. Why not? Because Christ is Christ and God is God and his revelation is the truth. And what's happening in my own experience is exactly what's presented to me on the pages of Scripture. And I may be struggling with sin and I may look back and cringe at things in my past. But at the end of the day, the bottom line is this. I believe. Help thou my unbelief. And so... We examine ourselves and we struggle with this uh, we struggle with this examination just because we are who we are. But we cannot just focus on an area of scripture like this. We've got to take in the broad sweep. Do you remember where we were recently? There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. This area of sanctification, progressive sanctification, and the enlivening and the greater sensitivity to sin is all part of that equation. But at the end of the day, we are not going to be condemned. Not because we're better than others, not because we've made the grade, I've just said we struggle. We really, really struggle. But we are going to be gloriously saved on the basis of a gift of justification. Remember, justification is the very opposite of condemnation. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. But we still have to examine ourselves. And yes, the battle goes on each and every day. But at the end of the day, we bow before the eternal God and his son and his revelation and we come to the table of the Lord broken because of sin but gloriously saved because of who Christ really is Amen let's pray O Lord our God we thank you that you are who you are and we are ashamed that we are who we are. But may we get our teaching right. And may we be enabled in the face of the onslaughts of the enemy of our soul. To stand our ground. To remind ourselves that we are indeed in Christ. And that's what makes all the difference. And all we ask is in Christ's name. Amen. <laughs>
Now let's conclude by singing the final few verses of Psalm 116. It's at verse 13. I love salvation, take the cup. On God's name will I call. I'll pay my vows now to the Lord before this people all. To the end of uh, the song. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, rest on and abide with each 